Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. Here's your host, Chuck Tomasi. Hello, ServiceNow admins, builders, developers, and curious individuals. And as always, I say that with the utmost respect. Welcome to Breakpoint, the ServiceNow Developer Podcast. And in this episode, I am joined by a man who is no stranger to the developer community, Principal Product Manager Josh Narius. How are you today, Josh? I'm well. Thanks, Chuck. It's good to be here. Uh, I'm a little chilly this morning, so I'm wearing, you can't see this on the podcast, I'm wearing a very, very warm looking hoodie. Um, it looks <laughs> very soft inside the hood and I'm drinking hot coffee and uh, it's a nice cozy morning here. It's November in Chicago for you. So yeah, that's, uh, that's appropriate. I'm not going to fault you anything there. <laughs> I was wearing a similar thing in Phoenix because it was getting chilly. <laughs> but, you know, Phoenix chili is different than Chicago chili, obviously. That's fair. I, I heard it was cold out west, though. So, it, you know, you've you've had some cold weather out there. I, I heard even in San Diego, they're down in the 40s. So it seems, seems like it's been a bit of a cool season. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, even 50 in Phoenix, which is you know, 10C, Feels a whole lot colder. I mean, I spent 48 years in Michigan and Wisconsin. 50 in Phoenix feels like 40 below in Wisconsin. It just, it's really weird. It goes right into your bones fast. Like, oh man, I know I don't get any sympathy from the people who still live in those colder areas, but come on out and visit me in, in December sometime. I'd love it. Anyway, enough about me. Let's talk about you. Tell us a little bit about who's Josh Nerius. Sounds good. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a product manager here at ServiceNow. I work in our platform product management team. Uh, My current focus is integration hub and integration authentication. So how do we talk to other systems? And then what kind of auth do we need to do it? Uh, A nice combo that complements each other. Um, so I've been in this role for, I guess, just about three years now. I can't believe it's been that long. Has it but been it's three already? A little under three years. It's I think I'm a little, a few months short of free, three years. Um, but a uh, little bit about me at the company. So I've been at ServiceNow. Uh, it'll be seven years next Wednesday, I believe. <laughs> I remember interviewing you. <laughs> that doesn't seem that long ago. <laughs> I know. I remember sitting in that room. We were talking about, I think, the Pebble Watch, which was new and exciting <laughs> at the time. Uh, yeah. Wow. Long time has passed. And so, Dave Slusher was in that same day of interviews, too. So he gives was. Gives an idea of the people we hire. <laughs> he was. So, yeah. And I guess that's a good segue to talk a little bit about what I was doing before. So, uh, in that first four, four and a half years of the company, I started in our professional services, expert services group, and spent a few years building integrations for customers uh, spent a couple of years in our developer program, so developer.servicenow.com, doing developer evangelism and advocacy, so that was a lot of fun. Um, but before that, I was a customer, so I started out uh, in about 2011, I think, went to Knowledge12 as my first knowledge as a customer. I think we were a prospect back then. It was down in, um, <laughs> down in uh, uh, New, New Orleans. Orleans. Yeah. Yeah. And... Um, that was how I got my start, and I loved it so much that the moment I saw an opportunity here, I jumped on it. What did you go to school for, just out of curiosity? So, you know, I have computer science coursework in my background. I uh, didn't actually finish. That's something that not everyone knows. I, I was a dropout, so uh, at the time, I was focused on my career and then didn't feel that I needed to continue, and uh, that's the path I took, and so far, it's been serving me well. You have aspirations of going back and getting like an MBA or something? I mean, we got to get the bachelor's first, but 
Any, anything like that? You know, one of these days I may go back. Um, you know, I've got quite a few credits saved up and it would not make sense to leave them just sitting there. So there's a good chance I'll do that. But uh, I need a little bit more time in my life before I make that commitment. Don't wait too long or you get to my age and go, you know, if I spent seven years on an MBA, I'd be retired by the time I finish the dang thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's part of the calculus for sure. You're like, how much will I get out of this considering what I'm doing now? And you never know. So, yeah. Do what you love, people. Do what you love, but also have goals. Uh, when you're not at work, what do you enjoy doing? Uh, so when I'm not at work, uh, you know, I spend a lot of time uh, tinkering. So I have a drawer full of electronic components. I spend a lot of time hacking on various miscellaneous projects. Um, one of the weirdest projects I worked on this this summer, uh, my COVID project was an Animal Crossing Island Finder tool. Which well, you got to explain that a little bit. The long and the short of it is for any of the listeners who know what Animal Crossing is, I didn't actually know. I had never played it before uh, the lockdowns, but you know that game came out for the Nintendo just around the time that everything shut down. So you start playing it, and there's this game mechanic where you can go to other people's islands and buy their stuff and sell your stuff, uh, but it's hard to find those islands. So what do you do? Help build a utility to find the islands and sort them by the prices of the goods on the island so you can travel there. So uh, stuff like that. All right. I, for the moment, I thought you had some sort of sensor thing for tracking deer crossing the road. I had no idea what <laughs> Animal Crossing was. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a game. It's a game. And it's uh, it's one that I spent a lot of time playing for a short period of time. And now I'm fully sick of it. Uh, outside of that, I spent a lot of time bicycling uh, when it's not cold. Uh, rode a couple hundred miles uh, over the last couple of months, and unfortunately, now that it's down in the 30s and 40s, that's pretty much all indoor stuff now. But do you, do you have a trainer? Do you, do you ride inside? I do ride inside. I have a Peloton. Uh, that was that was another quarantine purchase for me, and uh, kind of realized, hey, I need to I need to keep this outdoor habit going when I can't anymore. It's really important to stay healthy and stay moving, and especially in you know with what we're all kind of going through together right now. Okie doke. Well, let's turn our sights towards businessy stuff then. For those who have been hiding under a rock, maybe first time listener or they're new to the platform, tell them about Integration Hub. Sounds good. Yeah, so Integration Hub is the product within ServiceNow for dealing with integrations. It's a centralized framework for creating components that can talk to other systems. And it's also a library of, of pre-built connectors called spokes that allow you to integrate with many third parties, actually over 100 third-party systems now, um, without writing any code. You can you can use Flow Designer, which is our automation product and service now, to, to do things in the platform. But you can also then say, I want to integrate with a third-party system, and it's just as easy to do stuff outside the platform. Uh, so a lot of powerful tooling there. Um, and it's really exciting to see the the nature of you know who's building integrations shift because it's such an easy tool to use. People who maybe didn't think they could build integrations before are doing that now with Integration Hub. I know that you mentioned Flow Designer. Most people would interface with Integration Hub through Flow Designer, but there are other means to do that as well. Can you give us some insight to that? Yeah, so that's a, often a topic that I think has been a little confusing for some folks is, you know, what where is Integration Hub and what what does it entail? And so Flow Designer is one of the major areas that you'll use integration hub components. Um, but these actions that come in these integration spokes can be used anywhere in the platform. 
Um, so a few examples of this would be, uh, we have this, this action type called a data stream. A uh, data stream is all about how do we get large amounts of data from some other system and then pull them into service now. And you can now use those with platform data sources. So if you've been building data sources in the platform forever and you kind of know how those work, you always had to come up with all the business logic for yourself and figure out how to parse everything and, and process it. And now with this integration hub, data source to data stream feature, you can just pick a pre-built data stream, pull in the data, and, and away it goes. Um, you can also use these actions inside of any script throughout the platform. So we have scriptable APIs, meaning you can drive widgets, you can have UI actions that call these integration actions. Uh, really, the sky's the limit. And we also have capabilities like remote tables, where uh, you can essentially create a table and it's a virtual table that's actually getting data from somewhere else. And so that's another another component of the integration hub that not everyone knows about. You know, I hadn't thought about that. You're right. Integration hub and remote tables are tied together. They are. Yeah. Uh, um, the other thing I found interesting, you mentioned the data source, and that's a, a Paris feature that uh, I, I'm working on an integration series video right now, an integration video series. Let's see if we can say that right at 7 a.m. They uh, working on an integration video series and was talking about data sources and how that ties together. And I noticed there's a field in there that says, how do you want this data represented in the import set? You can either bring in the payload and have it parsed out into the discrete fields. You know, say this is name and this is address and this is age. Or you can dump it into a data field and say, here's your JSON payload. Let the, let the transform script figure it out or do what you need to do on that. And I thought... That was really flexible. Who, who, whose idea was that? <laughs> <laughs> that is flexible. And actually, that uh, is a feature that supports a really important set of integrations. Um, a, lot of the, a lot of our CMDB integrations will um, use this new capability called the Robust Transform Engine. And it's capable of processing lots of stuff, doing a lot of uh, advanced codeless transforms. But often, you know, the data is so complex, you know, maybe it's got arrays inside of it, or maybe it has really deep nesting of objects. And if you think about turning that into a flat table, it, it doesn't always fit. And so that mm -hmm. feature lets us bring the data in, but then let something else that's a little bit more intelligent actually break it apart and then process it. Are you involved with the Robust Transformer stuff? Um, so I am uh, somewhat involved in that. I, I work with Chris Malloy, who's my colleague. He he focuses on our import-export area, but we're both collaborating on a, some new experiences for data imports in the platform. And so the Robust Transform engine is right at the center of that. So we're, we're excited about what's coming there. And if you're interested more about Robust Transformers, look for, what is it, the Integration Hub ETL is, is the product that, that's our premier product that's using the back-end robust transformer engine the was it instance re, uh, reconciliation no uh the, the ire what yeah does that for again it, it's, it has something to do with reconciliation i know it's reconciliation engine. yes uh i forget yeah, what, I the I what the is. i did <laughs> I, I heard it the other day and i went oh yeah i gotta remember that but obviously i didn't but what that does is it allows you to take one data source and and one import set and instead of using multiple transforms and parsing it out, you can have multiple target tables. And the, the UI for this on the CMDB is just beautiful because, like you said, it's very pragmatic, very uh, you know, declarative. But it, 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 you end up with some powerful stuff to say, my servers go over here and the interfaces for them go over there and the disks for them go over there, even though it's all in one data source. So, yeah, very powerful stuff. 
And, and I'd, I'd like to see how, you know, I'm starting to think of my own projects. Where can I hook a data stream into an imports, into a data source? <laughs> that's, that's the problem with new features. Like, oh, oh, how can I use that now? <laughs> <laughs> Occupational yeah. hazard with these releases. No, it's true. It's true. And, you know, it's, it's funny because some of the time I have to remind myself these things exist, uh, especially if you've been around the platform for a while. You have this muscle memory you kind of build up. And you just do things the way you've always done them. And so as all these new things come out, I have to remind myself and I remind everyone else, go try the new thing. There's, there are ways that we're working on that, uh, you know, hopefully will make things better than they've been in the past. Um, and sometimes we just have to know that they're there. And that's a good point. I mean, we talked about that with business rules and scheduled jobs. No, go to Flow Designer rather than a script include. Consider building out your own library of actions, your own spoke of common utilities. And you can call them, we didn't mention this before, but with the Flow API, you can interact with these actions directly or interact with the entire subflow or flow directly in the background, in the foreground. It it really doesn't matter. So the APIs are are there to access these things as a library of components. Again, muscle memory. I mean, not too long ago, you and I were both writing all our REST APIs through script includes and, you know, set this parameter and like, now, I, it, once, you, once you flip over to using Integration Hub and making your spokes, like, what was I thinking? <laughs> <laughs> you never want to go back. You never want to go back. No, you don't. And I can't think of an instance, particularly with integrations, where I would want to go back to a scripted, uh, a scripted API. And it's like, why, why would I do an outbound REST API with that? I mean, obviously, if you've already written that, consider maybe migrating it, but you can maintain it just fine. Yeah. But uh, if, if it's a heavy maintenance load, you could certainly uh, reduce it greatly because, you know, hey, I need, I need a, a new spoke put in two parameters. You know, what's my target and what's my payload? You know, and, and out comes the response. Already parsed for you as an object or an array of objects. Like, wow, that was really cool. And we are adding more and more stuff to uh, integration. Now, what's your what's your current favorite feature? We're talking Paris. I know your brain is already into the Rome time say, time frame right now as we're doing some planning for those features. Quebec's not out, and but as far as Paris, what do you what do you really like? What tickled your fancy on that one? Oh, so Paris, there is uh, there's some good stuff coming. I would have to say it's the JSON parser. I think this is something that's been a long time coming. And it lets you take a response from a REST API or really any call, mm-hmm. uh, or it doesn't even have to be REST. I recently saw someone using uh, this in conjunction with a PowerShell script, interestingly enough. <laughs> um, but you can take any JSON payload and parse it into, uh, we in, we call it a complex object, but it's really not complex. It's, it's really just our way of saying, we're going to take this structured data from another system and then represent it as a dot walkable visual data pill. And so you can just easily go and interact with the data without having to think in code or, or, or worry about parsing the data out. And the JSON parser just does it for you. And it's, um, it's a huge time saver. It makes it really easy to quickly get an integration action up and running. And and then take the response from that action and turn it into something that's human consumable. Um, so that's I'm pretty excited about that. What's the advantage of that over just doing a JSON dot parse in a script? I think really the big thing is is all about uh, if you think about the action that you're building and what you want the outputs of that action to be. Um, you generally want to build an action that has outputs that are easy to consume. So if you're using that action in a flow and you want to pass, you know data from uh, from action to action to action, you can access it easily. easily. And the trouble with json.parse 
is that if you want to return this sort of rich set of outputs, you have to do that all by yourself. You essentially have to construct that output by hand. Um, and in some cases, that could involve a lot of code. So being able to do that with a JSON parser, it reduces the code you have to deal with. It, uh, you know, it just makes it a lot easier to create those really usable outputs um, and spend less time doing it. So if I create my own complex object, I have the ability to save it as a template and apply it over and over and over again. Let's say I've got a person object and it, you know, first name, last name, age, street address, blah, blah, blah. And it, it may even be nested with some other more complex stuff. Address may be composed of street and city. You kind of get the idea. Yep. The, um, and then I can say, make that a template so I can apply it elsewhere and use it again and again, perhaps in the same action, perhaps in other actions. Does the JSON parser produce something that I can repurpose later? It does. So it produces a complex object that's just a complex object like any other. And then there are a few things you can do. So if you were to take the output of the JSON parser and then drop it onto the actions outputs, it replicates its entire structure automatically. You don't even have to do the template thing, which is, I think, what's really powerful about this. We're making it easy to say, <laughs> hey, we know you've got the structure inside the action. You want it outside the action. So we're just going to automatically carry that through for you. Do we have to stick with the name root at the top of this object? <laughs> that's a good question. And that's a Chris question. But <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, an in that's a good piece of feedback. I've noticed that myself. Like, I, you know, because when it gets presented on the data panel, root just isn't, you know, it should be people, you know, and here's the array of person. And so anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm not putting a note here. Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the real reason, though, is if you think about a JSON object, um, when it comes in, the parser has no context about what it is. It just says, hey, yeah. I see a bunch of JSON and there's something in there. And all of the child uh, properties of it will have names, but the parent thing doesn't. So that's that's the current default. But uh, you know, we can we can look for ways to make it easier. You do have the ability though <laughs> to rename that yourself. So if you ever do generate one of those, you can just go into the con you know the result and then relabel it. The other one I need to check is: Can you take a partial of something and and say I just want to save you know this inner segment of the JSON because it's got you know these five main top level objects and i really only care about that that third one mm -hmm. you know so i that that that's come up before and I, I seem to have run into some static i don't know if it was just the implementation or the user interface or the user in the chair that was having the issue so i got to get back to that one as well I, I i thought for sure you were going to say the connections panel well, would that, be your favorite that's feature that's where i was going to go next and so you know <laughs> we are on the same wavelength today brother <laughs> i absolutely i the thing is is when uh, when you love a product and you love what it's capable of it's hard to pick favorites and so depending on what you're doing uh, if you're building those integrations, that JSON parser is amazing. And then where I think we're really excited, uh, especially for customers who are using our spokes, to Chuck's point, is the connections dashboard. So this is a journey that actually started in Orlando. Um, we had to do a bunch of work to create some new capabilities to simplify when you're setting up a new connection. How do we ask the user for information? And in the past, we said, hey, go to this connection alias table and... Uh, there's this related list called connections inside each alias and create a new one. And you would be faced with this form that was empty and daunting and you would try to figure out what to put in there. And then there was this reference to a thing called a credential. So you'd create a credential. And as you create your credential, maybe it's an OAuth credential. And that has a reference to a thing called an OAuth entity. And you're like, what's that? 
So you go and you create, you create the authenticity and then that has a provider and you're like, what's that? And so the complexity of setting up authentication from scratch before was really, really, really high. So in Orlando, this new capability called connection configuration templates allowed us to uh, take that complexity and say, hey, developer, developer, you know what the API's endpoint is and what its authorization mm -hmm. URLs are and such. So don't make your users enter that information. Uh, instead, we let them ask, we let them specify what are the inputs that you want an admin to, to pass in when they're setting up a new connection. And then behind the scenes, we'll take that data and generate all the records for you. And so it took a process that was something like 100 clicks or more. Uh, I have personally taken over an hour just to set up a Slack connection in the past. And it's now down to three or four clicks uh, in, nice. in less than a minute. And so that was huge. And then in Paris, we took that and we put a beautiful dashboard into Flow Designer and Integration Hub where you can see now a summary of all of your spokes, all of the connection configurations. And, and we added support for multiple connections as well. So we, we did a lot of work uh, around this area to just make it easier to create these things, set them up, manage them over time. And then when you've got complex environments, like maybe you have five Jira, set, you know, five Jira environments you want to integrate with, we now have that native support built in to manage those multiple connections. Oh, yeah. We didn't talk about multiple connections. Yeah. That's, that's another one. You can have you know, multiple credentials or connections sent to a given action or spoke or flow. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, something that just popped into my mind that's come up a couple of times in my personal projects is personal credentials. So you know, if, if I've got a system-to-system -system integration, you put it into the connections and the connect, you, know, you say, this, this is my YouTube API key, and it will be used when I talk to YouTube APIs. And, but there are instances where you and I and you know, Dave and Craig and Andrew, we're all on the same instance, and we need something represented on that third-party service as ourselves. Do we have plans to put in the ability to say, this is Chuck's credential store, where when you post to OneDrive or YouTube or LinkedIn, it's going to be a different credential used than when Josh posts to OneDrive or LinkedIn or YouTube. Is there something like that in the plans? Or I think GitHub Companion. Mm -hmm. okay? We did kind of the same thing, uh, but uh, yeah. it, it stored that credential or key as you, not as a system thing that everybody was using. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and to your point, today, the connections and credentials framework is really focused on those system-to-system -system integrations where there's mm -hmm. you know some kind of non-human user who's on the other end. And as Integration Hub uh, usage and use cases evolve and become more advanced, um, some of these scenarios now uh, require there to be some kind of user uh, not necessarily a system that you know that we're, that we're acting on on behalf of. So uh, we do have plans. Um, there, th this will be in an upcoming release. We're currently working on planning out exactly when and what this will look like. But think um, about this ability to say, you know, I'm maybe not a full admin, but I still need to be able to create integrations and I might need to create credentials for myself or right. maybe I've built an app and the users of my app need to log into the systems that my app is integrating with, but they have no awareness of the fact that there's integration hub behind the scenes. They have no idea what a connection alias is. Uh, and so, you know, we need to create a, a, an experience that allows those end users to authenticate. So, um, we've got exciting things coming there. Uh, we good, good. can't talk too much about it now, but um, sure, sure. that's, that's on, uh, on the future. 
No, because that comes up a lot in in you know these private projects that I'm working on. Uh, I may need to post something to LinkedIn, and I could see that you know if we're if we if somebody wants to write a marketing app, it'd be nice to have that framework already built on the platform to say, let's use personal credentials. And you know, the, from the user experience, I don't see any friction of when they say post a message. Oh, this is your first time posting. And they get the the OAuth, you know, do you want LinkedIn to allow access, blah, blah, blah. And you say, yes, allow, go forward, be happy. And until, you know, something expires or retires, you you don't even know it's there. You just say, it's time to post to LinkedIn as me. And then you're on the same instance. You say, oh, you get to post as you. So that that would be hugely helpful for fanning that out. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it it, it the, the users who are consuming that wouldn't even know it's there except for that occasional pop-up that we're all familiar with when, when we say, oh, I want, you know, Google to access my Todoist account. Fine, let it. <laughs> We've all seen this through IFTTT or something. Yeah. No, absolutely. Good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, yeah, exciting stuff. And I think the thing you mentioned GitHub Companion, which is interesting. Uh, I haven't thought about that project in a while. Uh, and and for, we should probably explain what that is for, for people who aren't familiar. Yeah. So the, the really short version of this is that, you know, uh, ServiceNow, when you're building apps, uh, you can uh, integrate with source control, you know, through GitHub. So you can commit your code to GitHub. You can pull, you know, changes down from GitHub and so on and so forth. And that's a really useful capability when you're doing labs. Like, um, you know, we want to walk you through a lab guide. And at some point, maybe we want you to catch up. And so you can pull changes down from GitHub. So I wrote this app that uh, uses, I think it was an Angular single page app. Um, It's all just completely custom code. This was a while ago now. And what it would do is it would allow a user to log into GitHub and fork uh, repositories from ServiceNow and then connect those repositories to their instance and, and pull in changes, you know, directly into their ServiceNow instance. And so I had built this authentication uh, mechanism that would allow whoever the current user is logged into the platform to establish a token or a session for themselves in GitHub and then use that, you know, throughout the rest of, of their use of the app. Um, and that was exactly what you mentioned, that that idea of an end user who, you know, whoever's sitting at the keyboard is the user we're integrating as. So there are some capabilities in the platform like that today um, if you are willing to write a lot of code. Uh, but that's something that will get easier over time. Wonderful. Looking forward to it. The um, it, it was a perfect use case for knowledge. You know, when we would go do these labs at knowledge and we had a repo out there and said, okay, where do you want to pull from? And it would make your own fork, so you're using your own private copy of this repo, and then it would say you could switch branches between the thing to go on to lab two and lab three. It was it was beautifully constructed. I mean, from an experience standpoint, you knocked it out of the park. And I've always wanted to replicate that in a few other apps and then looked at it and went, I'm not rebuilding it. <laughs> we gotta have we gotta have this in the platform for other people. <laughs> Uh, Speaking of building, I know this is probably more of a Chris Malloy question, but how are the new spokes coming? We had this vision of of expanding that library so people wouldn't have to build as many uh, uh, of their own custom spokes for their integrations, which is always a nice thing to have when you're looking at a new platform or adopting a new feature of a platform. How are we doing on our, our projected spoke path? We are doing really well. Um, and I want to really just make a huge call out to Chris Malloy and his team. They have done an incredible 
uh, job at creating these new spokes. And they're not just easy spokes. These are complicated, full-blown integration connectors to systems ranging from you know, things like um, a lot of the Microsoft products to really complex systems like SAP. And so, you know, we're, we're talking about some pretty significant development. And I think in Q1, we were sitting around roughly 30-ish spokes or so. And by the end of the year, I think we're going to have over 120, I believe, nice. last I checked. Don't quote me on that number, but it's well over 100 yeah. at this point, which just kind of shows you um, the consistency of investment in building these new spokes and then just the amazing work that the spoke team has been doing to, to crank these out. And and they've been doing this in conjunction with our customers. And so, you know, one of the things that as we build these spokes, we're not just um, trying to wrap every API endpoint that we possibly can. We're trying to make sure that, you know, we're grounding this in real customer use cases. We're focusing on those things that our customers are really trying to do with these other systems. So that when you, you, know, you as a customer go and use these spokes, it's... um. You know, it's, it's going to be focused on those common use cases that you actually need to accomplish. And I believe our old friend Dave Slusher is involved with that venture as well. He is. Yeah, Dave is part of the Integration Hub uh, team now, and uh, he's been helping work through this, and it's been great to have him around. We did talk a little bit about the future, and uh, I want to just get a high-level, not, not release-specific, of course, but uh, looking into the future, what's on the roadmap for Integration Hub? So there's a lot on the roadmap for Integration Hub, and I can't get into it all, but I think there are a couple of things that come to mind uh, that are worth mentioning. So, you know, if you've ever wanted to trigger a flow from an API call, uh, maybe you have business logic that you've written in the flow and you want to call that from a script somewhere or you want to kick that off from another system, uh, we're working on this thing called REST API Trigger. So this is... Um, uh, our entry yes, point. Wait, I, I got I to get the cheering crowd out for that one. <laughs> there we go. We are excited about this. This is something that's going to let you start to build these inbound integrations without having to write code. And uh, this is a big deal. It allows us to re, you know reduce the amount of scripted REST APIs you have to build, and um, and then just you know get down to business and writing your business logic. Um, another big thing that we're pretty excited about is a new capability around bi-directional process integrations. And if you think about the complexity of setting up an integration with two systems, maybe it's two different companies even, and exchanging ticket data back and forth. So maybe I ask for something in one system and then I route it to another system and the work happens over there. Um, some people call this e-bonding. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, this was something we built a lot of these back in the day in professional services where, you know, uh, we, we go and work with a customer for a hundred hours and, uh, you know, build these integrations out. And they're very difficult because you have to have someone on the other end who's coordinating with you. You have to worry about, you know, essentially keeping the states of two systems somehow in sync. So we're working on a framework to make that much, much easier and deal with things like complex correlation between systems and how do we transform data across systems and that sort of thing with a focus on, you know, doing these cross-system process integrations. That's a great segue into the next question. Do you get a visibility into what customers are doing with Integration Hub? We do uh, have some high-level information about that. So we get to see some things like, you know, which spokes are our customers using and using heavily mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, which actions within those spokes are the most popular. Um, and we also get to see high-level information like, uh, you know, our customers building their own and, and, you know, how much are they using the things that they've built. And it's been really exciting to see 
you know, some of the earliest spokes that we've built, uh, I think understandably the oldest book probably is going to have the most use because it's been out there for the longest. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, some really heavy use of things like Microsoft Active Directory and, uh, you know, our Jira spoke is really, really popular among others. Um, And then we're also seeing customers build a lot of their own stuff. Um, I can't share very, very specific numbers, but there's a large portion of integration hub usage that comes from customers who've built their own codeless actions because they've seen how easy it is. And so they're, you know, they're building these new actions for all their new integrations going forward. Well, Josh, it has been a treat talking to you today. Thank you very much for joining us. Before we leave, can you let the listener know how they can get in touch with you? Absolutely. So uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, um, just Josh Narius. It's easy. It's N-E-R-I-U-S. Uh, I always tell people it's Narius, like serious or delirious, depending on the day. Um, you can also uh, find me at uh, josh.fi online. I occasionally blog, very, very, very occasionally. I think I have about one post in the last year or so. Um, but occasionally I will write things there, and I've got a couple of ServiceNow-related posts uh, or you can email me at josh.nerius at servicenow.com. And uh, I get a lot of emails, so sometimes it takes a little while to respond, but I do, uh, I'm always happy to chat. Well, thank you very much again, Josh. And thank you, wonderful listener, for joining us today. Don't forget to check out our other ServiceNow podcasts. You can find them at community.servicenow.com under the resources menu. There's actually a podcast option there, and I think we're up to about 10 or so, but it's growing all the time encourage you if your interest or someone in your organization has an interest outside of the developer breakpoint discussions go there find stuff there are wonderful wonderful content lots of content too i'm surprised how many come down you can even subscribe to a master feed and get everything all in one subscription contact me if you got questions about that and thanks again josh for joining us you're welcome it's been great to be here i appreciate uh, you taking the time to chat with me today and uh yeah excited to be here Please let us know what you think about this podcast. You can leave feedback or ask questions in the ServiceNow community. For more great information on ServiceNow development, check out the ServiceNow developer portal at developer.servicenow.com. Thanks for listening. Hey.